Welcome to Technovation. I'm Peter High. I'm pleased to welcome Rob Carter and Steve Randich to the broadcast. Rob is the Executive Vice President of FedEx Information Services and the Chief Information Officer of FedEx. Rob's been in his role for more than two decades across his nearly 30 years with the company. Steve is the Executive Vice President and Chief Information Officer of FINRA, a non-governmental organization that regulates member brokerage firms and exchange markets, such as the New York Stock Exchange. Prior to joining FINRA, Steve held CIO roles at Citibank, NASDAQ, and the Chicago Stock Exchange. In this interview, we discuss the role of technology in creating a nimble enterprise. Rob shares the story of how technology that once provided FedEx with its competitive advantage had become outdated and the massive effort the company undertook to overhaul and modernize its legacy technology. Steve discusses the benefits of being an early adopter of the cloud, how FINRA is pushing up against the limits of Amazon Web Services, and FINRA's use of advanced analytics and machine learning to better identify fraud and bad actors. If you enjoy Technovation, please consider reading my new book, Getting to Nimble, How to Transform Your Company into a Digital Leader. The book is available on Amazon now or wherever else you buy books. As a special offer to our CXO listeners, if you purchase 50 or more books for you and for your team, I'd be happy to join you for a discussion on the book. To learn more, write us at info at metastrategy.com or visit gettingtonimble.com. This interview was recorded live during the MetaStrategy Digital Symposium on March 30th. And now for a word from our partner, Aptio. Digital transformation is a journey, not a destination. Technology decisions teams make today determines the success of tomorrow. That's why Aptio is dedicated to helping companies harness the power of trusted, actionable insights. It's called technology business management, and more than 60% of the Fortune 100 are already using it to speed their innovation. Learn more about how Aptio can help you connect your technology decisions to better business outcomes. Visit aptio.com. And now on to the interview. Rob, Steve, it's so great to see you both. Thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks, Peter. Yeah, Peter, well, thank you. Of course, yes. Uh, Rob, let me begin with you, if I if I can. Uh, yours is one of my favorite stories of the past decade. Um, you have been in your role long enough that you've seen, you have led and ushered in a full cycle in many areas of, of uh, um, the, the technology, introducing technology that became kind of the crown jewels of the organization, and then got to the point where it was in need of modernization again, and had the humility uh, to recognize when it was aging uh, and when it needed replacement. Um, you talked about how you recognize, in fact, that the crown jewels could be the source of the company's downfall if the organization didn't uh, take corrective action accordingly. Um, and I wonder if you could talk a little bit about the uh, that realization and the, the way in which you made the case to your board for a multi-year transformation of the technology of, of FedEx. Yeah, our story was a little bit different, Peter, in that um, we had built almost all of our software from scratch. We had a custom-built estate of technology, both customer-facing and operational and back-office that, uh, frankly, was serving us pretty well. I would also say that our team was, was you know, by most measures, a pretty elite team. Um, and yet, through the advent of time and technologies kind of crashing on the beach over the years, as well as acquisitions we had made, this estate had gotten messy. It had just climbed in time, cost, and complexity uh, to deliver business value. And so um, the, all of that complexity was really causing me as the technology leader in the enterprise to look at the root causes 
And what occurred to me was that uh, we had too much stuff and that we were going to have to build out new patterns and engineer new ways of doing business uh, from an IT standpoint. And this was probably at the end of the of the decade of the 2000s as we were getting ready to transition into the 2010s and really just recognizing that that complexity was going to kill us. And so I literally went into Fred Smith's office, our CEO and, and founder, and said, Fred, I'm, I'm going to fail. And he, you know, has kind of caught his attention. He looked up and he said, well, pray to tell. And I said, look, we've got to begin to turn the ship here with regard to this um, technology estate we have. It's not broken. It's working. In fact, it's a feat of industrial engineering, how well it serves the business, but it's not going to serve us well in the future. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is uh, very interesting. And I know you you made the case to, to Fred, obviously, successfully. You created this Hurricane Rob vision of a, a picture, a rudimentary picture of how the, the, the technology fit together and the problems in sustaining that and then created a much cleaner uh, picture about the the core technologies that would take their place, uh, ultimately getting Fred Smith's buy-in and the board's buy-in for this multi-year multi-year transformation. I'd love to come back to you in a moment to talk a little bit further about um, all that that has entailed. Let me turn to Steve Randich. Uh, Steve, again, good to see you. Finra, uh, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, uh, again, where you have been the CIO for about eight years now. You you have been on one of the most dramatic cloud transformations of any company. Uh, all the more meaningful given the amount of data that uh, flows through your systems uh, as the regular author regulatory authority for the financial industry. And talk a bit about uh, the the rationale for as dramatic a move to the cloud as you chose to make in the grand scheme of things fairly early. Um, talk about the genesis of that, if you would. Yeah, it was 2013. So it was definitely way ahead of the industry for financial services. We you know, the decision was made within three or four months of me coming to FINRA back in 2013. And it was really looking at how much data we have to process. We basically bring in all the equity and options, stock, uh, you know, trades, quotes, orders, pretty much every market event in the US we ingest every day. And those numbers, and back in that time frame, were approaching you know 50 to 100 billion per day that not that number is now a half a trillion and our surveillance patterns look at very broad swaths of of time over weeks and quarters so we have to store all of that data you know basically in in um tens and hundreds of petabytes accumulated so when I came there, we were looking at massive volumes. We were running it on data warehouse appliances from EMC and IBM. But the reality was uh, those couldn't provide the scale. We, need to, we needed to move our architecture from vertical scaling to horizontal scaling. We looked at some supercomputers, which perfected you know, the vertical scaling, but we really needed a horizontal scaling architecture and we needed massive uh scale at commodity costs. And that was really only going to be available in a cloud solution. So we very quickly moved to public cloud um, uh, options and chose uh, Amazon Web Services and have had a great partnership over the last eight years. That's great. And just briefly, uh, continuing with you just for a moment longer, Steve, 
you've in, in recent months um, reached such a volume that in some ways it's been really kind of pressing even the likes of an AWS to the limits of their capabilities. I'm wondering about some of the learnings from the volume uh, changes that you've seen across the past year and how you've grappled with that. Yeah, it's a little bit unsettling, but the reality is we are pushing up against the limits of Amazon Web Services. We never thought that that would happen. Uh, you think of public cloud computing, particularly around the big cloud providers like Google and Microsoft and Amazon, as it being an unlimited amount of scale, right? Infinite scale. That, that We used to say that, right? We don't say that anymore <laughs> uh, because we found hard and soft limits within an AWS region, right? We are now moving towards multi-region. We got Amazon to support that, but that's largely from a disaster recovery standpoint and not a scaling standpoint. Um, yeah, so we've we've identified dozens of bottlenecks within the Amazon infrastructure, and fortunately, we have regular meetings with Andy Jassy and some of the founding engineers to remove these bottlenecks. And we've been doing that for the last six months. So we've been making good progress, yeah. but it's something we never we never thought we'd have to walk down this road. Uh, perhaps they didn't either. I just give it given the the re remarkable volumes you're talking about, R Rob. I'd like to go back to you, uh, if I may. You you were talking about the the this remarkable journey that you've been on and the case that you needed to make uh, to to Fred Smith to the board to make really dramatic change. And as you contemplated that change, you focused on what you referred as the referred to as the four horsemen of dominant design. Take a moment and just describe those four horsemen, if you would, and the the ways in which you've you've thought about those topics. Peter, when we were looking at all that complexity out there and, you know, it was just, it looked like a hurricane. Like you said, it was an amazing array of systems and interfaces that was frankly unsustainable for, for our future. So it forced me to start thinking in different ways about how do you engineer your way out of this? And, you know, for whatever reason, I was looking at the evolution of technologies across, you know, many centuries from the railroad to airlines to, you know, to electricity. And what occurred to me was that every single one of those um, revolutions in civil society had resulted in a dominant design, that there was a dominant design notion that said, look, you know, when the railroads first started, there were, you know, significant different numbers of gauges of the railroad and ways that it worked. But over time, you know, here in the U.S. in particular, it settled on four foot, eight and a half inches. You can take your tape measure out to the rail nearest your house and put it on there. Well, it wasn't always that way. It took a lot of time. And, you know, the plug in the wall didn't always look exactly like it did today. There were competing formats. So early in the evolution of technologies that we all supported, everything was different. Everything was proprietary. Everything was unique from compute to storage and data to networks to, to the way software was deployed. But the four horsemen across those four dimensions became really apparent to me that we were quickly moving away from this world of proprietary technologies into dominant design computing where compute was going to be horizontal and scale out and that you'd be able to tap into it, that storage and data uh, was going to uniformly present itself um, as, as an asset to applications and compute where networks had settled into IP technologies 
you know, from the very, you know, my first job out of college was as a deck net administrator. And I had to broker the differences between all different kinds of networks that existed out there. And then maybe lastly, uh, software was going to become uh, an as-a-service set of capabilities, the beginning of service-oriented architectures and API-based technologies. And so the focus shifted for us from building big vertical applications to building capabilities that would be able to tap into these various components of dominant design and then therefore be composable um, across uh, an agile uh, or nimble business. And that was that was the beginning of the revolution for us. Uh, staying with you for a moment longer, Rob, if I may, your business is so remarkably diverse. You are an airline, you are a trucking company, a, logis- a logistics company, an office services uh, company, among other things that your your business does. And traditionally had been operating in a federated way, uh, understandably in many ways, given the diversity of the business. You've been thinking more now, and, and part of the journey you've been describing has been t- developing sort of some common cores, some common ways of doing things. And you're thinking more about what rhymes and uh, developing uh, a bit more collaboration across the traditional silos. Can you talk a bit about the, the rationale behind that and maybe some of the steps you've begun to undertake there? You know, our business was diverse. We had different operating companies that we were serving, but it was really important. We had a a strategic operating principle that said we would compete collectively, operate independently, and manage collaboratively. And so what we did was we really focused on that customer quarter, which allowed us to compete collectively as we began to establish the beachhead of these capabilities and technologies. And it worked out really well for us. But as we've evolved and as the world has evolved around us, we've we've changed those operating principles. Uh, they're now still compete collectively, but operate collaboratively and innovate digitally. I know that's just six words, but it's how we anchor our strategies in our corporation. And so operating collaboratively meant that we could thicken up that layer of capabilities for all of our operations and and make many more common architectural decisions and capabilities decisions that could serve a solid core, but a flexible edge of operations out there around the world. So huge transformation for us, you know, from a, from a mindset and cultural standpoint, but it's, you know, and and also innovate digitally is really important to us. Our, Our teams are really fired up to bring new kinds of capabilities to the logistical marketplaces. That's a great, great uh, story there. Appreciate you sharing that. Um, I wanted to turn back to you, Steve. Uh, it's no doubt given the amount of data that's flowing through your systems that analytics are a very important part of what you do. And I know that you're you're in the development you're in the developing stage of of advanced analytics program. Um, talk a bit about the form that's taking and uh, what you anticipate driving from it. Yeah, so we just got a major um, initiative, three-year initiative approved by our board a few weeks ago to really up our investment in advanced analytics and machine learning. Um, I mean, really what FINRA does, you know, if you, if you net it out, our IT operational issue is we get a ton of data and we have to find needles in the haystack in that data to find insider trading, market manipulation, and fraud. So our, pro- our our historical process was, you know, using uh, SQL to look at 
at the um, at the data, uh, specifically looking for specific evidence of things that we know about. Uh, but the problem is that um, the bad guys are smart and they continue to evolve and find new and better ways to get away with fraud. Um, you know, for example, they'll spread their activity across multiple exchanges or marketplaces a little bit in each one so that none of them actually trigger, you know, uh, an alert. So we have to get more sophisticated as well. And we've reached a point where we can't throw more humans at. There's just too much uh, to look at. And so we've got to get smart and we've got to we got to make the machines smarter and the algorithms smarter by training themselves and, and, and training them using supervised and unsupervised machine learning to manage our false positives and have more accurate alerts so that when the human gets involved, they're dealing with a lower volume of false positives. And so we've, we've identified hundreds of use cases across FINRA where we're going to be enhancing our surveillance, enhancing our review of documents, and um, just becoming smarter and more efficient and ultimately a more effective regulator. Um, because things are just so uh, fast and so electronic in, in this age, uh, we have to be um, a, a very sophisticated regulator and, and using um, you know modern advanced analytics tools and capabilities. So it's not like we're starting from scratch. We've been doing this for a number of years. What we did this spring is we are now getting really serious about it in terms of investment. Mm -hmm. Got it. Thank you for that overview. I can only imagine the the challenge given the amount of data that you have, but the importance of solving uh, what you've ar articulated as that opportunity. Uh, Rob, in the minute we have left, I just wanted to ask you what maybe a bit of a provocative question. Given the transformation that you have been on and the number of areas where you have helped modernize the, the technology footprint of FedEx, um, to what extent do you think sort of future-proofing is is possible? Do you feel like you're getting closer to something like that? I'm sure that full future-proofing would be the you know famous last words for somebody to declare that a, a reality. But to what extent are we are achieving sort of a modern technology stack that aids in the possibility of, of uh, helping to develop a modicum of, of future-proofing? Oh, what I, you know, as the pandemic hit us, you know, at that point in time, everything about our business changed. And, you know, at that point in time, you're either just faking it or you can actually do it. And so we had to we had to pivot the business very quickly based on those capabilities that we built. So I don't know about future proofing, but we certainly didn't anticipate that. But a composable, nimble business, I still love that word, where you can put things together quickly and you're not trying to crack open you know, these giant silos of technology and data really does help you uh, with that future. And being on dominant design technologies is the only way to do that. The, the cities that chose not to get on the common gauge of the railroad had tumbleweeds blowing down Main Street uh, before too long. So you have to you have to do that journey and the hard work to get there. Well, Steve Randich, Rob Carter, two of the deepest thinkers and most experienced technology leaders. Uh, it's a pleasure to have spoken to with both of you. Thank you so much for sharing your experience and your wisdom with our audience today. Thanks, Peter. You bet. Thank you.